no, no. They say the sea is cold, but I've always thought the sea contains the hottest blood of all. <laughs> Wait, yeah. No? Uh, D.H. Lawrence. I mean, I like it delivered a little bit more by uh, William, William Shatner. Yeah. yeah, he knows how to drop some pretty fine dialogue. He does. So you've never seen this before, right? No. How long did it take you to figure out that the key to the whole thing was fucking whales? Not that long. <laughs> I've been ragging on myself a little bit this season for how long it's taken me to figure out movies, but very quickly I figured out that the key to saving planet Earth in the future was to go back in time and save the whales. Such is the plot of our movie for today, Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And uh, yeah, here we are, uh, the original Star Trek film franchise. William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, who also directed this turd. Uh, I feel like he's responsible for a few of the worst Star Trek movies, but I could be wrong about that. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's what we got. We're going back in time. I'm, uh, yeah. I mean, I was excited when you said we we're going to watch a Star Trek film. Growing up uh, during the era we did, I definitely spent a great deal of my afternoons watching Star Trek The Next Generation. Sure, yeah. For me, it was early evening. It was on 6 p.m. on Fox 29. Yeah, I probably yeah. watched the same thing. And uh, yeah, always really enjoyed that. Connected more probably to that cast than this current oh, one. Oh, come on now. This is this is a debate that we could probably go deep on. Because I'm assuming you're a Picard guy. Yeah, oh, who? I'm such captain a Captain Kirk follower. is a superior yeah. captain, and everyone knows it. I mean, maybe in terms of, like, entertainment and flandering. but Action? Uh, and philandering. <laughs> he does love to philander. Yeah. No, I mean, he's a man of action. He's a doer. He's a doer. Yeah. Just I sit mean, back and talk. The new remake of the, or sort of the new relaunch of the movies, uh, I mean, the Kirk character is great. You really, it, it is enjoyable. But yeah. I think just because what I was most familiar with was the other ones, I think that's why I always kind of lean there. But I wasn't uh, unhappy to be watching a movie with Kirk uh, and Spock and the rest of the crew. How'd you feel afterwards? <laughs> I mean, that's for the end of our podcast. That is, my and yeah. we will we will obviously cover the whole movie as we always do. But first, we have a beer that we're yes. pairing with this movie. What are we drinking today? Oh, this one is a slam dunk. This one's a little bit um, more locked in than some of the others we've had recently. I feel like there's kind of been some quasi stretches lately. But uh, this is called Captain's Log. Oh, perfect. Yeah, yeah. When we just know that that's a part of the end of most Star Trek episodes. If you've ever seen one, the captain always goes and finishes his in log. In the beginning, is how it starts. Usually, yeah. Isn't it? yeah. Even in this movie, we get the start uh, with our Captain's Log, and so just what a great connection. This is from Cameron Brewing Company out of Oakville, Ontario. Uh, they've been a mainstay in Ontario craft brewing uh, for a long time. I think they opened in 97. That's what the can says, yeah. So they've been around for a really long time. They now have a large selection of craft beer you can get from them. Uh, they are very active in the brewing sort of award circuit. And uh, this one, the Cameron's, uh, like this beer itself is one best lager in Canada, I think, in 2021 or from Canada. They also had the best IPA, oh, uh, which maybe we should have drank too. I think that would have been pretty fun. It was called Cruising Through the Galaxy, so it would have fit with our, our connection as well. But maybe we'll try that one uh, another day. I'm okay that we didn't do that today. <laughs> I'm all right with it. This lager should be fine. Yeah, Thank you, I know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, looking forward to try this one. Uh, Want to get into it? 
Yeah, I've had this many times. It is delicious. It's exactly the kind of beer that I am often looking for. So this one is going to be a nice, easy episode for me. Let's do it. So before anything happens here, we get a heartfelt dedication to the brave men and women of the Spaceship Challenger, which I think is a really nice touch. And then we go into the Paramount logo and opening credits, which feature many familiar names and faces from the previous three movies. As I mentioned, it's a Leonard Nimoy film. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> just, maybe just stick to acting, Leonard. I don't know. You're not so uh, strong Maybe just it? stick to acting. Do you think the direction was the biggest problem in this thing? I mean, I think that he came in with a very clear message that he wanted to uh, highlight, mm. and they just bludgeoned us over the head with it for the next hour and 55 minutes. <laughs> so you didn't want to face the realities of what we're doing to our planet. So no, you... I wanted to watch the movie for entertainment and right. not get, you know. Okay. So what you're saying is you hate whales. <laughs> Well, as the credits end, we see a strange ship moving very slowly towards the camera. Inside the USS Saratoga, we learn that it appears to be a probe from an intelligence that is unknown to them. Starfleet's going to monitor that, but right now they've got bigger things to worry about. As we cut to Starfleet headquarters, where they are holding an inquiry into Captain Kirk's actions in the previous movie. Now, in case you haven't seen Star Trek's 2 and 3, the Klingons think that all of this stuff with the Genesis device is secretly a plot on Kirk's part to destroy their race. And, I mean, he does hate Klingons. <laughs> yeah, you had to remind me of this. I had seen these movies, or at least number two I've seen. I don't think I've seen number three. Um, but the whole idea was that they have created this thing that can uh, bring back and terraform a planet so that people can live on it or aliens can live on it again. Um, and the Klingons viewed this as a threat. Now, there is probably some good reason for Kirk to hate the Klingons. Well, they kill his son. Yeah. But his son was kind of like a bad scientist. He used uh, illegal materials to try and make the Genesis device work. It was kind of a sham, and it ends up just, like, destroying this planet, which the Klingons fear will happen to their home world if the, the Federation could use that to just, like, start destroying planets rather than actually rebuilding them, right? So, I mean, there's their, their, their argument is not without merit. Of course, we know Kirk's an all right guy. The uh, Klingon ambassador, though, he's hot about the whole thing. But then Spock's dad walks out to put him in his place, now, the Starfleet president tries to shut this down by telling them that Kirk has been charged with nine Starfleet violations, but this only makes the ambassador more angry. Starfleet regulations, that's outrageous! Remember this well. There shall be no peace as long as Kirk lives. Yeah, this is a straight ultimatum here, right? You need to execute Kirk or there's going to be war. Yeah. Speaking of Kirk... He leads us into the next scene with a trademark captain's log, and we learn that he and his crew have been waiting patiently on Vulcan for this all to play out, and they're doing it with their new ship, the Klingon bird of prey they commandeered in the last movie. They're planning on heading home soon, but before they do, Spock decides to brush up on his trivia skills. Yeah, he heads off to a cave full of computers. <laughs> it's the Vulcan <laughs> computer cave, pretty standard, I think. Yeah, I think so, and that is sort of giving him trivia about the Earth uh, and about other science-related topics. He's also playing chess on one of them, it looks like. He's got like yeah. five screens going at once. He's just yeah. like, yeah. He's winning that game of chess while doing that, but there's one question he cannot answer. Yeah, the one question you can't answer is, how do you feel? And if you are not a fan of the Star Trek movies, you won't know, but traditionally the Vulcans, the race that uh, his father is, and he is half Vulcan, his mother is a human, I think, uh, um, and they don't have emotion, or they don't express emotion. Yeah, I think they, they have them, it. but they, like, they repress them somehow, yeah. they have some way of repressing them. So that question does stump him, which his human mom is a little bit... Uh, you know, not concerned about, but he's all emo about it. And she basically still tells him to uh, pull his head out of his ass. 
These questions, though, man, they come fast and furious. And did you notice that one of them references Earth in the year 1987? A nice little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah, we're going to have to be maybe heading out of the uh, in 23rd century here. Yeah, they're laying the groundwork for how he could possibly know some shit that he should have no business knowing with this trivia fucking cave. That's all this is. It's such bullshit. Back at the USS Saratoga, that probe is sending out mysterious sounds which are impacting the ship's systems. And boy, are they. As the ship slowly shuts down, then catches on fire, and as we learn later via distress call, is not going to be able to maintain life support. And as if things couldn't get any worse, the probe is headed directly for Earth. How did you feel about this probe? Uh, It looks like a giant can with like a little tennis ball on a stick sticking out the bottom. Like, if I wanted to build a model of this, I could probably do it in about 15 seconds. (laughs) It's really pretty nondescript. It's weird. It kind of looked like asphalt. Like, it just looked like asphalt poured into this, like, circle, and then it was making this sort of annoying sound. It was annoying, uh, but only because we were hearing it through air, see? But yeah, it's, it's, it's heading for Earth, and also heading for Earth is the Klingon Bird of Prey, since Kirk and his crew have got it up and running. So we have to say goodbye to Lieutenant Savick here. And I don't know about you, but I spent the whole time trying to remember who it was that she had banged. Was it Spock? Was it Kirk? <laughs> I think it was his son, David. It was his son, David, right? Because you thought the same thing. You were like, who did she? Well, you know, the funny part is I didn't say that because I remembered it from the movie. She was just giving everyone like those kind of eyes. This version of Savick or the Kirstie Alley version? I mean, we all think Kirstie Alley is more promiscuous, don't we? I don't know about promiscuous. I just would rather, if it was going to be one of the two Savicks, that'd be my, that'd be the one I'd go with. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, you know, I just thought maybe you had a connection. Her face is less jagged. I don't know. No, she's thicker. (laughs) What? uh, Any number of, any number of reasons moving on. So it's been like 10 minutes and the probe is already at earth. That seemed really fast. I did feel like the timing here was kind yeah. of strange because um, it felt like it was moving slowly through space in the shots that they were showing. Very slowly. Um, but no, apparently not. It's arriving at Earth and then we get some pretty catastrophic weather events happening rather quickly. Oh my God, yeah. It has an immediate impact on the planet as like dark clouds form and the ocean starts to part. Maybe Moses is on board. <laughs> You're just trying to rile me up the, with... Uh, the SS Moses? My, Let yeah. my whales go. <laughs> Uh, On the bird of prey, they can't figure out what the hell is going on. And while they wait, Dr. McCoy tries to get Spock to tell him what being dead was like. You know, because they have this strong connection now since they were sharing a brain there for a while. But Spock is his usual Spocky self, and the doctor ends up leaving angry. Yeah, he was a little grumpy with him. He said, I have to die before you are going to uh, talk to me. How are we going to talk about it then? Spock was saying, unless they have the same frame of reference, they can't do it. And so... He was pissed, but he walks away, and uh, then we sort of transition at this time between shots of the Enterprise's crew uh, and Earth, as things are not going well. Yeah, I know. They finally hear from Earth, but it's in the form of a distress call, one telling everyone to stay the hell away as the probe is wreaking havoc on the planet. If they're going to have any chance of saving the world, they'll need to figure out a way to communicate with it. And this is where this shit gets truly ridiculous. As Spock, who we know is only like 70% back, like he's still having these weird little mental lapses and stuff, he immediately puts this all together. The probe isn't trying to communicate with human sea. They're trying to communicate with something in the ocean. And after a quick search of the Klingon Bird of Prey's databanks, Spock confirms that the messages were intended for whales, specifically humpback whales. What the fuck? Yeah, I started to lose it here as we were watching a little bit. I was like, 
no, it can't be whales, right? It's yeah. not going to be whales. You were like making faces at me, covering yeah. your mouth, being like, there's no way. The look on your face was incredible. Just like, what? What? This is the plot of yeah. this movie? That's right. It's literally, they're going to have to go back in time to Earth, and they're going to have to capture whales and bring them to the future to stop this like cylindrical piece of asphalt from destroying the Earth. I have three things here. First of all, how the hell does he figure this out so fast? He hears the sounds and he's like, oh, those aren't for humans. Only human arrogance. He's right He's right to something in the ocean. And then he's like, like so that, that's thing number one. How the fuck? Thing number two, why does this Klingon ship have all this information about like Earth's mammals? <laughs> those are both really good questions. Number one, I think the first part of it I could see him coming to. Like, that seems very Spocky But that me. fast? That fast. Well, for him to be like, maybe the message is not for humans. He's got it immediately, though. That I could see. For him to then be like, oh, I know what this is. It's about oceans and the whales. That was pretty bullshit. It happened yeah. really quickly. Uh, the I think that maybe a Klingon ship would have a lot of information about Earth because... I mean, there's their main rival. They're going to want to have as much data as possible. how would they get that information? Because they don't cooperate. They're well, at war they, with the humans. But Why they, would they? they have an ambassador who lives oh, on true. Earth. They okay. have enough people there that they would be collecting evidence. It's not... Well, okay, then ex- here's my third thing. Explain this to me. They expect us to believe that for thousands of years, Earth's whales were somehow transmitting signals back to their planet of origin because the whales are aliens. That's what I'm taking away from this. Whales in the ocean <laughs> sending signals through space to their home planet. That's what whale song is, isn't it? Isn't well, they're it very intelligent. Sent to through space. Space. How are they transmitting them through space? To back to their home planet so that uh, they don't send weird asphalt probes to destroy the Earth. Got, well, I guess so. That's yeah. where we're at here. Um, <laughs> so, so. <laughs> as you mentioned, unfortunately, humpback whales have been extinct for a while. Fortunately, Kirk has a plan. He orders his crew to do the time warp because apparently they're just able to do that on a Klingon ship. Here's another question for you. If they can do that, why don't the Klingons just go back in time and conquer the galaxy? There is a giant gaping plot hole here. The fact that they are like, oh, well, we'll just go back in time. Like, it's automatic and they can do it. Where does this come from? Oh, it's just a jump to the left. <laughs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> um, to the left of a reasonable uh, uh, solution to it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're right. If If... Everyone had the ability to travel in time. Star Trek would just be a clusterfuck. Like, you'd never have anything on the same timeline. It would just be people messed up. So I thought that that was really weird. Like, I'd never heard of people traveling in time in any of the Star Trek stuff. No, they've never mentioned it, like, before or since. Yeah, so this was really just a convenient way for Leonard Nimoy to do a Save the Whales movie. Well, it's also a convenient way for them to get back so they can do some, like, fish-out-of-water comedy. Yeah, which is maybe what he wanted to direct. Like, maybe he he knew that his opportunity to direct something was limited to a Star Trek franchise, so he figured out, like, this is the only way I can do it. I don't know, man. Uh, either way, I, they do say it's dangerous, so I guess they try to explain it away. But clearly this is all going to work out. The only thing I can say in defense is it does seem like the only one who can do the math or figure it out is Spock. So if anyone else tried to do it, they, they may not have the capability or intelligence to make it work. Well, by the same token, though, everyone seems a bit nervous because he said he's programmed all of this from memory. You programmed all that from memory? I have. Angels and ministers of grace defend us. Hamlet, Act 1, Scene 4. So I guess the fact that he knows that part of the play is kind of reassuring. Is he's yeah. got that part at least in his memory. Yeah, I think um, they, they trust Spock. They know that his brain is superior to any other brain in the galaxy. 
Yeah, but he's not all the way there. He's reforming still from the Genesis plan. Uh, I know. I don't know, man, but it's go time now. And as they slingshot around the sun, we get some truly terrible effects, including like an artsy animation scene where kind of statue heads of the characters morph into different characters and like a body slides through water. And this was really weird and choppy. I mean, I guess it's time that it was done. This could be like pretty amazing now with computer animation or significant improvements in animation. There's also some a lot of alluding to whales, right? There were shapes that were similar to whales, almost in the form of sound that like it looked like mm. sound waves to me that were creating the shape of whales. Yeah. So yeah, this is them trying to show the transition. I thought it was interesting that they do this now and we're going to get to it later in the movie, but when they travel back, there's none of this. Right? No. They just skip times yeah. and I actually preferred the the latter, right? Like, this uh, yeah, no, work, same. Yeah. I almost wonder this because this looked a little too advanced for the technology they had in 1986. I almost wonder if this is because we watched this on like the this like very nice Blu-ray box set. I almost wonder if they remastered some stuff. This is kind of like a George Lucas Star Wars thing. They went in and like added some effects after the fact. Huh. I don't know if this is the original thing or not, but it's it's weird. And you're right, they don't do it in the way back. We do, however, fade into what looks like a shot of Captain Kirk getting. Bl- in his chair he's leaned back with his eyes closed and a fulfilled look on his face i'm serious that's the first thing i thought oh of. my god he's leaned back like someone's just down on their knees in front of him it looked like he was waking up to me but i love that you went straight to him getting i bet he's woken up to that happening a few times in the in captain's chair you mentioned he's quite a philanderer so yeah i mean i guess if you are the highest ranking official on that ship you're gonna use that chair for more than just captain <laughs> and a badass man of action but they made it, though. It's Earth, 1986. We're here. Admiral, I'm receiving whale song. Oh, yeah, right away. <laughs> like, they haven't even landed on Earth. They're heading towards Earth, which I guess just proves, yes, the whales were, in fact, transmitting somehow this whole time. Uh, one small problem upon their arrival, the dilithium crystals that power the ship have basically been exhausted, which means that in less than 24 hours, they won't be able to go anywhere. Luckily, Spock reaches deep into his trivia mind and remembers the time when the Earth had a dubious flirtation with nuclear fusion, his words. If they can find some nuclear material, they can use it to power their way home. And all I could think of during this like extremely long stretch was they are really putting the science in science fiction here. Oh, they are definitely trying to, right? They're, they're trying to embed all of the science that they can. It's funny because when you look at the technology they have, it doesn't really stand up, right? It's hard to predict what it would look like in the 23rd century, but um, I do like that they try to connect the science as much as they can. Yeah, um, but it's odd to me that they do that right before we switch genres, because from this point out, for the next 20, 30 minutes, we're basically just in a comedy. This is where the comedy begins. They have to head down to the planet's surface, see, only they're not exactly familiar with 1980s Earth's customs. Also, Spock is an alien, uh, so you know people will notice that, but he's got a solution. He tears off part of his robe and makes a headband to cover his Vulcan ears. <laughs> He's walking around like the Karate Kid. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it was very convenient. It was pretty funny that uh, I like the way it was delivered, though, because it was so deadpan, which is exactly what he would do, right? He's like, this is the perfect solution. It makes sense. It's logical. I'll cover my ears and then no one <laughs> will know. That's it. No problem. Yeah. Superman puts glasses on. No one can tell you Superman. Well, you got it. What's hilarious to me is they have... Like, they're able to pull out all this knowledge. They have this ship that they can, like, land and cloak and hide from everyone, but they don't fucking change. Well, that's the comedy. That's the fish out of water part, right? Some of them, Kirk even acts like he knows what's going on, like, customs of Earth, but he still stands out like a fucking sore thumb. They all do. 
But if they know this much and like they're supposed to try to be incognito, you think they would have dressed for the time. But what are you going to, but with what? They don't have their clothes. They're not in that regular shit. They're on the bird of prey. They have what they're wearing. That's it. Sulu's got his fucking kimono and uh, Chekhov's got a leather jacket, like a turtleneck and McCoy's dressed like uh, Indiana Jones, his great, great grandfather. Like this is kind of <laughs> what we're stuck with, right? So you think, her, her yeah. is just in her fucking uniform. I know. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Uh, the, I will say the only characters who don't seem to stand out, Sulu is real sharp down there. He's got a lot of Earth experience. He references things. He's like familiar with like he talks to a helicopter pilot later and he knows the kind of helicopter. And Dr. McCoy like seamlessly just like talks their way into a manufacturing plant, talks their way to the hospital. Like he, he's pretty on it. I don't understand why. Those two were like good. Everyone else is like spotty, but those two are like real strong. Did they have a better knowledge of like I must the be. history I mean, Sulu, of Earth? Sulu or, yeah. flashes a lot of history. I don't know how McCoy, yeah. maybe McCoy like lived on old Earth. He's so fucking old. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So after a short scene where a couple of garbage men witness the cloaked bird of prey landing, there's a good line here when they get up the ship and Kirk says, Everybody remember where we parked. <laughs> I like that. The, uh, the jokes come fast and furious. Kirk almost gets run over by a car, then pawns some antique glasses for $100. He isn't sure if that's a lot of money. And then gets kicked off the bus for not having exact change. This is so jokey, and it just gets worse. Yeah, this is where they're going to split up because they have a couple different missions they need to achieve. They need to find some whales, some humpback whales in particular. They need to find some nuclear material to power back up those crystals in their ship. And then they also need to... Find a way to make a tank to transport whales back to yep. the future. It definitely, yes. Like you said, a lot of fish out of water comedy here as they try to figure out where they're going. Uh, you get Spock finding a map and trying to like figure out where they're most likely to find the whales. And then, of course, an ad on the side of the bus tells Kirk and we have an easy so solution. So convenient. Yeah, yeah, very nice. Uh, Chekhov and Uhura, meanwhile, they're a team. They try and ask various passerby where they can find the naval base with all of the nuclear vessels. But because he has an accent and she's black, nobody wants to help them. Ah, racism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is interesting because it's, he's clearly Russian, right? In the United States asking where the nuclear stuff is. Yeah. At this time in the 80s. You he has a police officer. The guy yeah. just stares him down. I think they might have uh, tried to take some information from him, possibly. Yeah, <laughs> but, so just like staring at him until he goes away. Yeah. yeah. Now, of all the teams, Kirk and Spock have the most initial success. As you mentioned, they spot an ad for like a whale museum on the side of a bus and they manage to scrape together the exact change required to get a ride there. In addition to whales, this museum has a great exhibit dedicated to subtlety as the tour guide Jillian spends several minutes explaining how shitty mankind is to the animals, nature, and the environment. Thank goodness we don't have to worry about that stuff 35 years later, eh? <laughs> yeah, we've I'm glad, changed so I'm much. Glad we, I'm glad we lived about all in the past. Yeah, in the all 80s, of yeah. the shittiness we do to animals is gone. This is the section where they're definitely telling you what the message of the movie is, right? Like, it's clear that we need to be doing a better job of taking care of the other things on our planet because one day, if they stop sending messages to their alien homeland, we are all fucked. Yeah, clearly. In a fantastic stroke of luck, though, the museum just happens to have the only two humpback whales anywhere in captivity. They're conveniently located in a tank that should make beaming them up easy. What won't make things easy is Spock deciding to go for a swim in order to communicate with the whales, which gets them kicked out of the museum. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? How do you... 
Well, Spock wanted to make sure that the whales were okay with being uh, moved and wanted to find out if they were willing to maybe communicate with this probe that's uh, having problems. So. He didn't want to take the whales under duress. He wanted to make sure they were okay with it because he didn't want to offend anybody. You see a little bit of yourself in that character there? No, <laughs> you're Spockish in that way? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel that's fair. I like the Spock character quite a bit. Speak whale, do you? Yeah. So we have, didn't you hear earlier? It was a wonderful impression. It was very, yeah. <laughs> so no, we have um, George and Gracie, the whales here. That uh, is their names, yeah. And it's funny, they're getting kicked out by this doctor, but the doctor is really giving them a lot of time. You mentioned time. Time is not on their side here, as the whales will soon be released back into the ocean. As Jillian makes clear in a very emotional exchange with one of her coworkers, much like most of the people we've seen in this movie so far, this lady's acting is not good. I think she in particular stands out in the like brutal acting category. Might be the worst. Yeah. yeah. For the amount of lines she has. <laughs> she has a lot of lines. I mean, the garbage people earlier were awful, but for the amount of lines that she gets, she really doesn't deliver on most of them. No, as I said, she is not good. And also not good, her decision making, as despite kicking Kirk and Spock out of the Institute less than an hour ago, she spots them walking along the side of the road and not only slows down to talk to them, she offers them a ride. That seems logical. Mm-hmm. Two people, one who was swimming with the whales that you love so much, like without permission. And therefore must seem like a lunatic. And the other who is dressed like a lunatic and <laughs> like, like the dress that he has on is insane. Um, and is trying to explain away the behavior of this person based on drug use. Yeah, he said he was uh, at Berkeley in the 60s and took too much LDS. Yeah, which is funny. Yeah, Not just, quite. <laughs> Didn't quite get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, she also threatens them with a tire iron. So if she felt that threatened, why are they in her car? Well, I mean, she didn't feel that threatened, but she wanted them to know that she was prepared. She was packing. But why do you say that to someone you're not threatened by? Well, I think you're just setting the expectations here, right? They're, but I if think, those are your expectations, why are they in the car? Uh, I mean, yes, that's true. But I think there would have been a point where it was common to give people rides, even if you were a little bit unsure of who they were and what they would be like. We're going to agree disagree on this one because right. I don't think there's any reason why they should be in that car. Two good things do come out of this car ride, though. First of all, Kirk gets Jillian to agree to have dinner with them so he can safely assume the streets of San Francisco aren't the only thing he'll be exploring on this trip. And he ironically sums up the whole movie when he says, You're not exactly catching us at our best. <laughs> I think that's pretty appropriate. That could have been, that could have been the Is fucking that trailer be for this the movie. Line? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You're not really catching us at our best. <laughs> I might actually disagree, though, as everyone else has been wildly successful with their individual assignments. Check out Anuhura, find a nuclear vessel, and actually manage to get on board. Sulu connects with a helicopter pilot, and Scotty and Dr. McCoy con their way into a polymer factory where they can acquire the right kind of glass to build their own whale tank. Oh, and they also alter the future, but they just blow right past that. I mean... They do justify it by saying they weren't sure if this man that they give, like, future secrets to actually wasn't the one who created it. He advances their technology by, like, 600%. Yeah. He, she tells them a way to make the most durable glass ever, like, one-sixth its current size, and the guy's mind is blown. And they explain it away by being like, well, maybe he could have made it on his own. Yeah, that seems logical. Also. We also get some funny computer comedy. Oh, fuck, yeah. Where the, he yeah. tries to speak into the mouse rather yeah. than to type. And then when he does type, he's just, like, absurdly proficient. Oh, my God. He's just, like, clicking, like, random letter and number buttons. And all these windows are opening. And all these things are happening. And there's no fucking way that typing those keys would do those things. But we're, it's the future. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. Oh, my um, God. It was ridiculous. We move from him sort of securing what he needs to build this tank to our date, don't we? Oh, this is a real acting face-off, too, between Kirk and Jillian here. It's a struggle. 
Yeah. William Shatner is famous and has been super successful, but he's known for having kind of a garbage delivery, like either really on point for comedy, but never as a serious actor. And so when the two of them are trying to sort of have this serious date where they're both testing each other out and trying to get info, it's not going so hot. No, I also feel like they have zero chemistry. Oh, no, no. I mean, the only chemistry that happens is when they get beamed up together and this magical heart appears between them. But you uh, are we'll talk about that delusional. Later. <laughs> that does not happen. Yeah. He ends up telling her everything and she like kind of believes him. She doesn't storm out anyway, which I feel like 99% of people would do. But she also isn't going to give him all the information he needs, at least not yet. What she is willing to tell him right now is that the whales are going to be released at noon the next day, which means they're in a real crunch here. Small complication, though, because while her and Chekhov were able to sneak onto this nuclear vessel, which just so happens to coincidentally be named the USS Enterprise, small world, their attempts to leech the power get detected by some crew members during a routine scan, and Chekhov gets captured before he can beam out. This turns into an absolutely ridiculous chase scene when he throws a malfunctioning phaser at the guy interrogating him and just runs out of the battleship. How is he not shot dead inside of 10 seconds? Yeah, I mean, the people trying to take him out were as incompetent as the people trying to take out uh, Steven Seagal in Under Siege. You got vibes from that, eh? Yeah, yeah. I definitely felt like it was him. It was uh, sort of Steven Seagal here. If if Steven had been on the boat, none of this nuclear material would have been taken, by the way. Like, it would have been safe. Oh, yeah, he would have killed Chekhov dead before he could have uh, gotten a word in edgewise. Yeah, but... Unfortunately for Chekhov, after what seems to be kind of like a comedy chase scene, he falls off the boat and is almost dead. Yeah, he like lands in one of the lifeboats, I think, but he is just, he's injured his head massively, possibly his spine. They take him to the hospital. And that's going to be another problem for them to overcome here. Also, an issue Jillian shows up at the museum the next day only to find out the whales have been released ahead of schedule. Now she's upset as any woman would be with a premature release. And so she runs to the park to try to find Kirk. Yeah, I mean, because of- yeah, she is. Um, and she's so upset that she slaps her boss, Joe. And I don't know about you, but this is the second time he appears in here. And I was definitely getting creepy boss vibes from this guy. Oh, you think he's been like... Uh- He's been trying to Sexually use his influence. Her. Yeah, he's been trying to use influence to do that. So she shows up. <laughs> she shows up uh, at the park hoping to find Kirk, and I think she might be interested for him to show her his rocket. Oh my god, man! Come on, this is unbelievable. Because the bird of prey is cloaked, she runs right into a part of the landing gear face first, which absolutely should have knocked her out, but doesn't. She falls down, but in a very gentle, soft way. Yeah. It was uh, pretty bad. She does have the chance here to do some mime work as she pretends to feel the landing gear in front of her. Did you see this? Her hands keep going in further than like, oh, it's bad. She's not a professionally trained mime. You kind of give her a little bit of uh, leeway here. But you know what? It would have been nice if they just used a green screen and had her push against something. Did they have green screen? They must have because we see them lowering the glass for the tank. Sulu's got the helicopter. He's lowering the glass into seemingly nothing. Scotty's like half out of there telling him to bring the glass down. That was a fairly effective effect too. I like the way they did the green. A fairly effective effect. You are correct. (laughs) Very good. Uh, They do let her in eventually and she explains what's up it is a problem but perhaps the bigger problem is the fact that Chekhov is headed for emergency surgery and not expected to survive so now we get a side mission as Kirk Jillian and Dr. McCoy just up like earth doctors uh, from the 80s and infiltrate the hospital and uh, McCoy is not exactly impressed with their level of technology and competence 
No, it's pretty hilarious. He keeps running into doctors or patients who are struggling and like talking about the dark ages or going yeah. back to the Spanish Inquisition. Are we in medieval times? Like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. He's really unimpressed with modern medicine of 1987. Uh, I guess which would be true when you are in Star Trek and you have like scanners and lasers and machines that just fix people without like basically touching them or cutting them. Everything else would be just absolutely garbage. And you can cure a woman's failing kidney by giving her a pill. Yeah. Oh, which is funny. She runs to this woman who has, <laughs> who's on dialysis and he just dialysis. hands it to her. And then later they do a flashback to her being like, it's a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> saved, yeah. The doctors are like, full recovery? What? Like they can't, you know, they, yeah. So he manages to get the three of them into the operating room by acting like Jillian is suffering from what he calls. This woman has immediate postprandial upper abdominal distension. Oh. AKA cramps. And his future technology immediately restores Chekhov back to consciousness. All of this leads to another chase as the same cops who were guarding the room are now after them soundtracked by what is like slapsticky big band music. Yeah. Yeah. They did this in the, the first ship chase on the ship as well. They use kind of funny music to make it very lighthearted, but it, it seems really silly. Like you said, this section of the movie is definitely the comic relief section. Just straight comedy. Yeah. So they're about to get caught by these sort of security guards, but uh, what happens? They manage to get uh, to a point where they can beam up safely, and the security guards like break through the door, and, and they're, they're just good. Gone. Yeah, they're yeah, back. They're so, being gone. So their mission is successful. The four of them have been beamed back to the park uh, where they are all sort of gathering together, uh, and they need to go find those whales. Oh yeah, man! Because they've got everything else. They've got Chekhov. They've got the nuclear power for the ship. They've got the glass for the tank. Luckily, Jillian knows how to track the whales. So they're good to go, and I guess Jillian is going to come with them? Yeah, this confused me. I was just like, why are they bringing her? And the captain didn't really want to. Well, uh, of course not. He doesn't, yeah. well, he's supposed to bang her here in the past and go back to the future and be able to do what he wants. He's going to follow her to the future. She's not going to know anybody else. Come do on. you think this was his main concern, is that he didn't want baggage to come back oh, to the future? Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, he wanted us to nail her here and go on with his life. That's the Captain Kirk way. Yeah, he doesn't want any. There are no repeat engagements. <laughs> what no. happens if he uh, impregnates her here? I don't know. He meets his own son, like, or I guess he meets his own yeah, great great grandson, yeah. the same age as him. I don't even fucking know. Maybe yeah. he's his own father. Yeah, well, maybe it's the Terminator thing, where like you know, <laughs> the guy that John Connor sends back gets John Connor's mom pregnant to give birth to John Connor. I don't know. It could be. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty interesting. But so he tries to leave her. He calls for himself to be beamed on board, and what happens? Oh, she jumps into his arms though as he's getting beamed up. And, like, she makes it very clear. She's like, I don't want to stay here. I have no one. I have no one and nothing. She's like a sad, very lonely woman. Uh, but if she thinks they're going to live happily ever after in the 23rd century, boy, is she in for a surprise. He's going to be like, yeah, this was fun, but I got to go. <laughs> and then she'll be like, I'm in the future. Do you think there's a commentary on women uh, in science in the work world? Is the Are they trying to tell Not a that? positive one. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is that message? Why does she have nothing? Because she's career driven. Because she, she has a career. Because she has a career. Yeah, well, that's what I'm worried about. You can't have this. it all in the 80s. No. Oh my god. She's yeah. not married. She doesn't have kids. Yeah. She doesn't have friends because she has a job. Yeah. That's where we were at. Look at the patriarchy. Oh, I don't know. It's the patriarchy's fault. No, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> stop! Stop sticking up for the patriarchy. I'm not. Oh man. So. <laughs> So we, we they get beamed on board. She's with them, and she's able to give them the FM like transmitter coordinates for these yeah. uh, whales. Time and to go scoop some whales. But there is one more obstacle here, as a whaling ship has already tracked the two humpbacks from the museum and is preparing to kill them. 
They've loaded their guns and everything. We've got some dramatic action music happening, but luckily the bird of prey swoops in in the nick of time, blocks the harpoon, and successfully beams up the super realistic looking whales. I mean, it, dude, it looks like two rubber toys just like floating in a fucking thing. Uh, it does not. They're not moving. Yeah. They're not moving at all. Yeah. They're totally stationary. The motion was rough. I I thought that it was it was better than I thought it was going to be, though. Like if I was being honest, when I saw it transform and then I they came into screen, I was I was thinking it was going to look worse. You said that in the moment. I almost spit my drink out. Yeah, because you were like, was "This like, is what? awful." Yeah. No, it surprised me. I thought it was better than it was going to be. You kind of went really quickly there. That scene where they're building the tension is like seven minutes of music and whales it's going. Yeah, yeah, I was like, it's just Holy the, the image of the whaling boat on their computer screen getting closer and closer as they like race there, and the guys in the whaling ship are shouting things that are like in like sea voices. Ready to hurry? I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I was like, okay. Well, I'm glad that they got there in time. The harpoon into the invisible ship was actually kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I thought they were so they uncloak when that happens. I thought they were gonna just fucking blow up that. I was hoping they would. Yeah. Yeah. I was waiting for them to launch a torpedo and just blow up the whalers. That would have been maybe too strong a statement. You don't want to alienate. Is that what it is? You don't want to. Yeah. I. Well, and they're murderers. Oh, I guess if it killed them, like, is there a way to? But so are the whalers. Yeah. So I don't know. For a Save the Whale movie, I thought it was interesting how there were no consequences. There didn't seem to be consequences for those whalers. No, they, well, except for seeing a fucking spaceship and no one believing them ever. So yeah, so their life has been ruined, basically. Yeah. yeah. They're Which never I, I've heard whale again. I guess might be better. a worse revenge than killing someone. Yeah, that could be true. Yeah. So they got him. It's time to go home now. But just to try to add a little tension, we learned that Spock doesn't have exact figures for their mass and acceleration. You'd think this would concern Kirk and everyone else, but he seems kind of amused with the whole thing. Mr. Scott cannot give me exact figures, Admiral, so I will make a guess. A guess? You, Spock? That's extraordinary. Like, maybe he isn't worried because he, like us, knows that there's a 0% chance this movie ends with a bird of prey blowing up as they slingshot around the sun. Like, zero tension here. They try and build it, but, like, come on. I actually found, too, the, like fake tension created about whether the ship was going to hold together or not also was really lame. Like, oh my God, random pieces are falling off yeah, like the set. Uh, yeah. It, it was just too much at this point. They'd done enough building and enough suspense. We know they're getting back and we know those whales are going to come and save the day. Oh, of course. And sure enough, when the crew opens their eyes, they're back in their own time and right in the path of the probe. Their ship immediately loses power and they end up doing a water landing, which actually works out perfectly as it allows them to release the whales right into the ocean. This is all a little more difficult than I'm making it sound as they have to abandon ship and Kirk has to swim down to open the whale hatch. But sure enough, he gets them out of there and they swim off to freedom. Yeah, that's after Kirk spends about seven minutes of screen time underwater holding his breath. Well, he's great at holding his breath. He's learned that from years of just m***ing alien b***. <laughs> he doesn't come up for air. Captain Kirk's not come up for the air until the job is done. Oh, uh, You know, he's holding his breath for a super long time. Like, it's absurd. Like, he's an Olympic diver. Yeah, apparently. He he spends lots of time down there. So he's trained forever. Um, but he does get them out. We get a, a shot of the crew kind of standing on the only part of the ship that isn't submerged in the water. And the whales are uh, swimming freely. And they're sort of excited. But there's also that last bit of tension because what are they not doing? Well, they're not talking. They're just swimming, but there's no sounds. And the probe is still wreaking havoc. We see Starfleet fucking headquarters is getting increasingly damaged, similar to the ship when they slingshot around the sun. But they eventually do, after a minute or two, and the probe powers down before heading back from whence it came. 
Kirk has done it again, man, and the Enterprise crew and Jillian celebrate by playfully splashing around in the water. They're having fun. <laughs> it's true. The Whalians have saved the day, right? They, <laughs> yeah. It happens really fast that everything is recovered. Yeah. Like immediately things are all good and we're in celebration mode. They have that almost like a pool party, like you said. They're all swimming, <laughs> throwing each other in the yeah. water. I noticed a couple of times it looked like they weren't actually swimming. Like they might have been in a like standing a shallow pool standing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, just make them tread water for like a minute, please. But uh, that's okay. Did you also notice that Jillian was not wearing a bra? No. You fucking liar. <laughs> what are you talking about? So she wasn't wearing a bra? You're the one who told me that. When You're she such jumped a in fucking the water, liar. You... Look at you. Yeah. Well, this has all worked itself out, but there is still the small matter of Kirk's numerous Starfleet violations, however, so the trial resumes. But because he has once again saved the entire planet, all of the charges have been dropped. All except one. Disobeying a commanding officer. Now, they decide to punish him by stripping him of his admiralship. He was an admiral, I guess, not a captain, but he still said captain's log at the beginning. I know it's Why do you say admiral's log? Well, and they had all been referred to as admirals, too. I didn't, because I don't remember the other ones previously, had they all gotten promotions or something? Not all. I'm pretty sure him and Spock are the only two admirals. Everyone else is like, Sulu becomes a captain, but I don't know if he's a captain yet. Okay. Uh, either way, yeah, they, they, I mean, they've, they've ascended the ladder due to their numerous, numerous wild successes. But Kirk's going to be a captain again. They're going to knock him down a captain, which, let's be honest here, this is not a punishment at all. He was secretly captaining the whole time. Yeah, he wanted to be that captain who's going to continue with his crew and going on those adventures with the USS Enterprise. This is what I'm saying. He's going to be behind the scenes. He wants oh, to no. be in the action. He's not like yeah. Picard wants to sit back in his chair and send everyone else to do everything. Well, he just wants to get back on that ship so we can find some more alien strange. That's <laughs> very possible. Although, we get some goodbyes now, and one of them is Jillian heading out on a science vessel, so he's not going to get to uh, sleep with her. Yeah, she does. he says, how am I going to contact you? I don't have your phone number. And she says, don't worry, I'll find you. Yeah. But at this moment, she definitely leaves him with a boner. His rocket is fully ready for launch. And <laughs> Damn, man. No. <laughs> what is the matter with you? I don't know. Spock also has to say goodbye here to his father, but he sends him off with a message for his mom. I feel fine. Remember from when the uh, computer asked him before? Yeah, he couldn't answer that question, but now he knows that everything is A-OK. Yeah, man, now we all feel fine as the crew is shuttled to their new ship, a little ship called the USS Enterprise A. It's like the next version, I guess. Yeah. And the movie ends with Kirk saying, All right, Mr. Sulu, let's see what she's got. And zoom, they're off. An hour and 55 minutes, and it felt every bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a little slow for you, huh? Yeah, for me, it was just, it was moving slow. And I think Leonard Nimoy was so obsessed with explaining the fucking, like, science part behind nuclear fusion. All his environmental comments was what it was. Just dragged this thing out. Yeah, we kind of mentioned this at the beginning. You really don't like whales that much, and you don't care about saving <laughs> Damn, them. That's not so, true. I have nothing against whales at all. <laughs> so a movie that's sort of trying to tell that message to the world is probably not something that's going to appeal to you. Listen, I'm pro-environment. I like the environment. But, like, you know, I like the environment. When it comes to the environment, <laughs> I'm for it. But... <laughs> like this was just I don't know man like I get the point you know we could have read between the lines we always talk about this when movies like make the audience feel stupid when they act like we don't understand they could have done this without having to be like oh mankind is earth's like greatest fucking rapist which is true well of course it's true but like it didn't need to be a whole lengthy diatribe what I'm curious about is I assume at this point, there's like the whole Save the Whales movement, the whole idea about protecting creatures, particularly in the ocean, endangered animal protection, 
was fairly like new and just building ground. Like, would this have been more important then than it would be now? Oh my God, in an ironic twist, am I the one applying my present day lens to this past movie? Because I'm sick and tired of hearing about stuff that I'm just, oh my God. Maybe this was a legit problem back in 1986, and this is trying to bring attention to it at the beginning of it instead of me being like, we get it already. That's kind of how I felt about oh, it. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, I might owe uh, Leonard Nimoy an apology. Then. <laughs> I mean, it still moves slow. The movie still moves slow. I don't disagree with you, and I also feel like it's a weird thing to do in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. Right? It doesn't feel like a movie you expect from Star Trek. It's not, it's not going to a, like brave new world it's not going to a place that's unexplored we're going to our planet and having whales save the universe and the earth of future i kind of feel like there was running out of ideas here like the fact that they pivot so hard to time travel and comedy from a franchise who had done neither you know what i mean like yeah. it just seems i know i asked you about back to the future while we were watching this too and i was wondering before this i think didn't but it? i was wondering if this was trying to cash in on the time travel-esque oh, stories of I the mean, time right yeah. like was that just trying to get some money along with it i bet that's exactly what happened and uh yeah so this is a first for our podcast uh because my brother is a huge huge star trek fan and when he heard we were watching this movie he was furious he loves this movie. He was mad at us. Yeah. He regretted loaning me his Star Trek Blu-ray box set on which we watched this. And so I told him I would give him a chance to come on here and defend this movie. What do you think? We'll give him a call and see what happens? Yeah, I would love that. I think I'd like to hear from him. Okay. Here we go. I need some help defending this. Hey. Hey, what's up? Not much. How are you doing? I'm good. Do you want to try and defend Star Trek Four? I mean, I could try. Well, you're such a huge fan of this. I mean, it's a bit fantastical, but I think overall it's a fantastic Star Trek movie. Wait. Give me your criticism. Okay. Uh, it's too long. I mean, how can I argue that? Like, what's the optimal length for a Star Trek movie? What's the optimal length for any movie? 90 minutes. This is hour <laughs> 55. Okay. The environmental message, they just hammer you over the head with it. The acting. Right. And they, time has proven them right. <laughs> okay. Wait. Hang on. Can you, can you, okay, wait, why don't you give me your thoughts at the end here? Okay. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll let's okay. give me your. Sorry. So the acting is terrible. That that woman who plays like Dr. Jillian, she's awful. She's really bad. The comedy is awful. It's really bad comedy. So those are those are my. Do you have anything, Noel, or what? What else bothered you about this? For me, it would just felt weird that this wasn't in a Star Trek adventure sort of way. I didn't like that they went back to Earth. All right, Scott, go ahead and defend this shit. I mean. I think that my defense of Star Trek Four is centered more around how it is by far not the worst Star Trek movie. I think that you have pointed out some legitimate criticisms of the movie. It is a departure from the other Star Trek films. But like in the Star Trek canon, it is not nearly as terrible as Star Trek One or Star Trek Five or Star Trek Three. Oh hang on hang on a hot second. Star Trek three is significantly better than this. Star Trek 3 is mediocre at best. It, if, if it is tolerable, it is only because it is the long, painful conclusion of Star Trek 2. And if you're criticizing Star Trek 4 for being too long, then how do you combine 2 and 3 into one big movie and call it good? Christopher Lloyd, man. Christopher Lloyd's great in 3. Christopher Lloyd is okay. Talk about overacting. Oh, hang on now. <laughs> this, this is ridiculous. Oh. Explain this though. Explain away. Come on. F explain why this movie's. You're saying your argument is that it's not as bad as some of the other ones, and therefore it's good. 
I think if you are looking, if your premise is you are doing a bad movies podcast, then the idea that Star Trek Four is the worst Star Trek for you to choose is outrageous. Okay. So I, I reject your entire premise of reviewing <laughs> Star Trek Four. There are worst movies. As you know, as a longtime listener, we're trying to find movies that are bad but entertaining. I'm not going to go try and watch Star Trek 5. I'm not going to force Star Trek 5 or Star Trek 1 on Noel here and make him sit through two hours of that boring bullshit. That's the first. Yeah. Second, the comedy is delightful. Nuclear vessels? Come on. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Come on. That's terrible. Uh, the the fish out of water is is kind of funny. I, I had trouble with it, like, them not being able to fit in a little more based on how much Spock knew about the time. I was like, they should be able to just prepare themselves to kind of fit in, and they didn't. But I guess that would have taken away from the point of making it a comedy in that section. Yeah. Okay, but wait, I have one more complaint about this. I've gone back through my notes now, and this is what jumped out at me originally. The whole way we get sent back in time, how does Spock figure out so fast that it's whales? He has the answer in like 10 seconds, and we know he's not mentally all there. That's a problem for me. What do you say to that? I mean, if you heard that sound, wouldn't you be like, wow, that sounds like a whale? Yeah, because I live in a time of whales. They've been extinct <laughs> for thousands of years. This is why he goes to the cave and he studies oh, the, the trivia cave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he's studying this stuff all the time. He knows it. And it's only really been a couple hundred years, not thousands of years. Okay. Right? Well, how about this? Star Trek takes place in like the 23rd century. Yeah. All right. How about this? They expect us to believe that for thousands of years, Earth's whales were somehow transmitting signals back to their planet of origin. No, 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 you've missed that. It's, the probe came in the past and talked to the whales, then went away, and then came back again looking for the whales, and the whales weren't there. No, no, no. The whales were they say the whales They say the probe is coming because they're sending a signal and they aren't being responded to. That's not what I took away from that, although again, I haven't watched it in a while because I wasn't prepared for this little interrogation. Uh-huh. The, <laughs> my understanding of the premise was this probe flies through space talking to whales or something. And so it came to Earth before, and when it spoke to the whales, it was fine. And then it went away, right? And now it's come back, and it's reaching out to the whales, and it's not getting a response because there's no whales. I don't think the idea was the whales were beaming whale song into the void. I don't know, man, because when the bird of prey arrives in the past, they haven't even, like, gotten to Earth yet. They're just, uh, like, orbiting Earth, and Uhura's like, I'm receiving whale songs. They were looking, <laughs> they were looking for them, though. When well, yeah, them. but still. But I don't it, know, man. Yeah. That, that is a good point because, yeah, I wouldn't think that, like, from space they could hear any kind of animals just talking. So maybe the pitch of the whale songs really does um, reverberate through time and space. I don't know. <laughs> Last one, then we'll let you go, and I really appreciate you doing this. But oh, yeah. the time travel part. I think the Enterprise did that in one of the original series episodes. I couldn't tell you which one. Maybe where they went back and fought the Nazis. I don't know. So but, I, wait, but I, Then why don't the Klingons just go back in time and conquer the galaxy? Listen, you, you, that's a very good point. It is, it is kind of a continuity problem. But I mean, Star Trek and science fiction are riddled with these things, right? You have to kind of suspend your disbelief. Well, that actually, but, Noel made that point that only Spock could calculate this. Maybe that's why no one else has done it before, because the Klingons don't have a guy as smart as Spock. But I don't know. I thought he but was... that's perfect nonsensical, right? Like, what is Spock? He's a half Vulcan, half human, but he's somehow smarter than every other person in the Well, he's galaxy. in the trivia cave. You see him in the trivia cave. He's, answering, he's playing chess. He's answering questions from seven different computers all at the same time. He's a savant. Right, but presumably all the Vulcans do that for fun on the weekend, right? Like, I don't think it's Spock's, like, personal trivia cave. So you're saying this movie is a piece of shit. 
No, I'm saying that there are. Listen, if you want to nitpick any movie, you can find flaws. My thesis is this is not the worst Star Trek film. So like I said before, I reject your premise. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. All right. You guys take care. You too. Bye-bye. Live long and prosper, as it were. Oh, my God. All right. Bye. (laughs) Bye. There it was. My brother, practicing lawyer and Star Trek Four defender. This would probably be a good point to go into our ratings. We rate the movie two times on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 to 10 for how bad it is, 1 to 10 for how enjoyable. And the goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on both scales, or as we call it, the Crit 20. And I will be honest, this movie, I found it pretty bad in a number of ways, but many like diehard Star Trek fans actually do like this movie because the comedy appeals to them. It's like, you know, seeing the characters in a different light, playing off some of the characters' stereotypical behavior. The target audience does, in fact, appreciate it on some level, so I only have this as a nine. My brother, who we just heard from, clearly you heard him defending this with such anger that we would even have in the podcast, so it is hitting that target audience. All right, how bad did you think this was? I'm really struggling with my number here. I'm trying to think. I wrote down two and not, no, 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 not a too bad. Oh my God. I was going to follow yeah. uh, I think I'm going with a six bad. Wow. Yeah. So six you bad. are almost firmly in the camp of my brother here. This is just like. It's still bad. It's still not a great movie, but there's parts of it and we're going to get into enjoyability, right? As we transition and. It starts out, you get the music, it pulls you right into the feeling of being in a Star Trek universe. You get the characters which you know so well from the TV show. The going to, I didn't love the going to the modern era, but I, I still did enjoy the comedy, the way that they solve problems. Well, that's the only um, way to have the comedy. They couldn't have yeah. the comedy if they stayed in their timeline because the comedy is all based on them being unfamiliar with the customs of 80s Earth. Yeah, it's fair. It hit all the kind of notes that I was looking for, though, in a like fun Star Trek adventure kind of story. I'm getting nervous here. What's your number? <laughs> I had my enjoyability as an eight. Oh my God, dude. We are basically almost exactly reversed on this. I have my enjoyability as a six. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I did not find this very enjoyable. Um, the comedy for me doesn't do it because, again, it's so cringy, dude. I mean, someone calls Kirk a dumbass and he responds by saying double dumbass on you. Like, he doesn't know whatever. Spock's trying to use like the word hell, but he can't use it properly. I like Spock trying to get into the curse oh. word game. I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know, man. I, I really did not find this that enjoyable. This will be the last time that I watch this movie. All right, that's fair. I, I think that this did give us a lot to talk about, and it was fun to have your brother sort of defend it too, which was a, a first for the Our podcast. Our first ever guest, yeah, unless you count producer John and his uh, silent cameos. <laughs> uh, so what about this beer, though? How would you feel about this beer? Yeah, it was good. They called it a golden lager, caramelly, a little bit darker. It wasn't a really light, light uh, lagered beer. It was more of a golden with kind of like a full flavor uh, you can definitely taste the malt in it, um, but yeah. it was smooth and uh, easy to drink, and I can see why this has gotten quite a bit of fanfare. Yeah, and I love this beer. I've had it many times. I'll have it many times more in the future. It's just delicious, very, very crushable, and, uh, you know, 
that just great lager taste. Yeah, not Cameron's- too heavy, not too hazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hating on the haze. I wish we got to drink their like world renowned hazy IPA. That might be something that I go look for. I mean, uh, please. Pretty- there's plenty of space movies. We can always come back to them another yeah. time further on down the road. But yeah, Cameron's Brewery in Oakville, Ontario. Uh, they have a patio and a place for you to grab beers inside. So if ever you're in the area, definitely stop by. Their stuff's also available in all of our LCBOs and beer stores and hopefully in places where you find your beer too. Definitely. Now, next week, uh, next week we're going to be watching a movie that is not funny even a little bit. There is no comedy in this movie. It is just like straight up weird-ass drama. By special request next week, we're going to be watching a little film called The Counselor. I don't think I've heard of this movie. It's a Ridley Scott movie, star-studded cast, weird as fuck. Oh, just weird as fuck. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. I like weird, though. That tends to increase my enjoyability rating. Yeah. I mean, there'll be some action. There'll be some sexuality, which is always a fertile ground for us for uh, conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> That'll be coming up next week. It's weird as fuck. You want to be here for it for sure. But before then, if you have not, please follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram at the BMB podcast. Yeah. If you have any comments, feedback, if you are a huge Trekkie and you want to shit on us for including it in the podcast, please send us messages. If you have any suggestions for beers or movies or combinations of both, please send us messages to our social media. Also, you can send us an email at the BMB podcast at gmail.com. Absolutely. Our season is winding down here, but we're looking for ideas for next season. So hit us up there. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Save the whales. How on earth can they save the future? <laughs> <laughs>